So the movie kind of separates sexuality out from gender and it says, look, like we need to deal with gender sometimes as its own problem in the world. And so if there is any identity in the movie, it's man and woman. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the ivory tower boiler room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and welcome back to part two of ITBR's Barbie analysis. So, Part one, I had my friend Sheena on, who is a yogi and studies all things womb wisdom and is a healer, like intuitive healer, does fitness. So she gave us a lot of the feminine energy and looking at even just contradictions she saw with feminist theory. Uh, so, you know, we looked a lot into the gender relations, but like I was teasing, I am now joined with a friend of mine, a mentor of mine too, especially with my writing, Dr. Ramsey Fawaz, all things queer theory, in my opinion. Hi, Ramsey. Hi, thanks so much for having me back. I've been wanting to talk about Barbie forever. And because everybody had a hot take before the movie was even out, I really didn't get a chance. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so Ramsey was on the... ITBR in the spring. So you have to listen to, it's like an unapologetic queer theorist <laughs> feminist. I forget what exactly yeah, the exact so title. Fun. So it was just really great. And we got into the messiness of queer theory, feminist theory. And I was even teasing in part one with Sheena Ramsey that queer theorists and feminist theorists never agree on one specific strain of theory. And that's what makes it fun are the debates. So I think what I hadn't discussed was sexuality in Barbie. And I think what I wanted to ask you right away as a stepping stone question yeah. is identity is never really, when I was rewatching the film, yeah. identity is not really ever discussed. Like there is never yeah. you're gay or you're straight, totally. like, or you're a person of color. It's kind of just identity is there. Um, and yes. Yeah. So it seems like Greta Gerwig and the whole team is giving us this, is it okay just to have diversity represented without the diverse diversity of the person categorized? Yeah. So, you know, it seems like you have a lot of ideas. About no, this, this is a great starting point. I mean, one thing I will say, which is gonna, in, a, in a funny way, gonna short circuit the move towards sexuality is I don't think this movie is about sexuality at all. I think mm -hmm. it is fundamentally about gender. I think part of what's so brilliant, and I'm going to say that a lot today, I mean, I rewatched it. I thought it was incredible the first time I saw it. I think it's better the second time I saw it. Part of what's amazing, and we'll unpack this today, is that I think that the, the movie works against a lot of contemporary orthodoxies of like left social justice language and the way we talk about identity. It is very kind of like bored, like you said, with identity. It's not really interested in identitarianism in the question of like what your category is. It's also weirdly like not intersectional. And what I mean by that is like, it's saying gender needs to be dealt with before we deal with sexuality. Like, I think it's very telling that the movie ends with her jokingly going to her gynecologist because part of it is it's saying like, oh, like, like before we even get to the idea of having sexual organs and having desire, which like she doesn't desire Ken, right? She like desires just being herself. And so there is a kind of like um, 
an inward turning focus. It's like a really deeply woman identified movie that's about her own relationship to herself and her friends that is not about eroticism. It's like about social attachment. So the movie kind of separates sexuality out from gender and it says, look, like we need to deal with gender sometimes as its own problem in the world. And so if there is any identity in the movie, it's man and woman, right? Like that's really like the movie in this, in this moment that we're living in that is so about like gender's transitivity, it's like non-binary experience, all of this, the movie dares to say, actually, enough people in the world still self-identify as men and women, even if those categories are socially constructed, that like we have to reckon with the existence of men and women and their relationship to each other. Like that, I think, is an amazing aspect of the movie. And that's really where the identity politics of the movies are, is in the relationship between men and women and women and themselves. Yeah, when it makes sense that Sheena, as a now training doula, she really saw the whole gynecology moment as, oh, this really is within like the womb, like of the female body is what really is being highlighted of women. Yeah. We we talked about it as a self-liberation movie. Like this really yeah. is giving us your own individuality. Like you said, re-watching Ramsey, I still can't believe they're really, or I can believe it, but it's such a political point of the movie yeah. is that there is no sex scene. Like there is no actual no. romance. No. Romance is actually gone. Because the movie is about representation, not about embodiment. Mm -hmm. The movie is about the problem of what Barbie represents, right? That extraordinary moment that everyone talks about when America Ferreira uh, gives her speech about the deep contradictions of what it means to be a woman. The genius of that moment is that on the one hand, the speech is just a series of cliches. Like we've all heard those things before, that women are trapped between uh, you know, being chased and being sexually available, between being successful but not too successful. We've heard all of that, right? This is classic liberal feminism. But part of what she says is she looks at stereotypical Barbie and she says to her, and if all of this is true for a representation, and like, what does it mean for a real woman? And her answer is, I don't know. Like, it's impossible, is what she says, is to like live in that position. And I think part of what's so amazing about that moment is the movie is acknowledging the limits of its own politics. It's saying representations can only do so much. This moment that we live in, in which we're demanding representations to do everything, Right? Like a doll or a movie or a TV show needs to represent the entire complexity of every single kind of human being. And the movie is like, how can one doll, like one version of the doll, stereotypical Barbie, carry the weight of all our representational demands? And the movie is saying it cannot. So I think it ends with like, you know what happens after representation? you get back to real bodies. And when you get back into bodies, the shit gets fucking crazy, right? Then everything gets even multiplied because then you have a body and you have desire and eroticism. And part of what the movie is saying is like, we got to deal with representation first and its limits. Then we will move to the problem of what it means to be a person. And I love that the movie is basically saying like, I can't do everything in two hours. Well, and I think we have to talk about just Mattel's brand because that's mm -hmm. something that I'm not hearing a lot when we talk about the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I need to bring this up on totally. air. Is, of course, this might be the contrarian of me, but or the Virgo in me. This is also a rebranding of Mattel. 1, who have been sinking. They're sinking yes. as a company and they're thinking, oh my God, what do we do with Barbie as an image? Because this isn't resonating with the young generation. Yeah. And this isn't just spur of the moment, Barbie comes out as a movie. This is after the pandemic, we really need like a new line of toys. Absolutely. We need to think about it. So do you think that you're talking about America Ferreira's monologue? And I think what's so interesting is so many erupted in cheers in the audience, but I'm also thinking how many of them bought into the liberal idea of feminism like, oh, wow, what she just said, I've never heard before. Like, right, yeah. there's also people in that audience where that's the first time they've been exposed to totally. what we call mainstream liberal feminism. Yeah. Well, a few things. First of all, a good friend of mine actually really hated the movie for this reason, because they, they were saying basically, look, 
the movie thinks that it's doing this amazingly complex postmodern critique of patriarchy, but it's wrapped up in the rebranding of Mattel. And so Mattel is approving all of the decisions they're making. And my answer to that is like, yes, and also so what? Because that's how all popular culture is, right? Like to be able to make big budget popular culture, movies, video games, you know, all of these things, you need hundreds of millions of dollars from major corporate interests. Like there is no way that you are gonna escape trying to make something this big budget without the oversight of like deeply entrenched, um, deeply problematic structures. And the movie does its best to incorporate that and make fun of it and also admit, right? Like in that moment when America Ferreira at the end posits the idea of like, let's have an ordinary Barbie, you know, they hate that idea. And then they're like, it'll make us a lot of money. Right. Again, the movie is acknowledging it's not simply that the movie is saying, um, how do I want to put it? It's not simply that the movie is like doing a superficial critique that is then ultimately useless. It's or, or ideologically consumed by Mattel, although that is also true. The movie is smart enough to admit to you a movie alone cannot change structural oppression. Like Greta Gerwig knows she's like making Barbie fictionally real, like Pinocchio, like allowing someone like American Ferreira's character Gloria to posit the idea of ordinary Barbie does not end patriarchy. That's the lesson of the movie, right? The movie is like patriarchy will not be ended by a representation. It will be ended by people collectively working together to change the conditions of their existence. And for me, I love that because the movie is being honest about its limitations. It's not well, trying to do everything. And Barbie Land. So something that fascinated me, though, is Barbie Land, even though it's supposed to be utopic, it is exclusionary. So if this is 100%. our version of a matriarchy, or in part one, yes. Sheena described it as like, even matriarchy has its problems and limits. And It's a lesbian separatist commune is what it is. I mean, I want to talk about that. Yeah, but like, if we have a weird Barbie, isn't... Technically, if this is supposed to be a utopic society, yeah. wouldn't Weird Barbie be celebrated for her uniqueness? That's a really good point. So why is she cast out? That is something I found the I most problematic. Yeah. Is even how they describe Kate McKinnon's character. Like, oh, she's yeah. weird or you don't want to become her. And yeah. it's as if she's the witch on top of the hill. She's like yeah. our Cersei. Because you're malfunctioning. Is... I mean, somebody could even make a disability studies argument there, right? That like in some ways, she, especially like the fact that her body is manipulated in all of these ways and that she's broken down and that like, that this, that this is like one of the un, the, the one of the unacknowledged aspects of the movie is the way in which it also sets disability aside, even though they also present a, um, a Barbie in a wheelchair at the beginning, right? Like, so it's complicated. Well, that and our most... Um, gay labeled Barbies, the sugar daddy yes, and yeah, earring magic daddy. Hen, they're also discarded. Like anything yeah. that basically um didn't last in the Mattel universe. Yeah. And they're basically now in that home. Like they're on top of the oh, home. You're right. That's so but, true. It's all the queer cast outs. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, so many are making a big thing out of Alan being queer. I guess I just never saw it. Like, some no, are I saying think Alan could... is just gentle. I think like he's just yeah. a gentle form of masculinity. Yeah. I didn't actually see him as yeah him having a queer sexuality. Again, yeah. like you said, sexuality is a really the only time let's talk about the male homoeroticism because yeah. the beach me off scene. Yeah. I, I guess I was surprised. I mean, it's there and it exists and you're right. The movie is trying to do a lot and I do think it succeeds in its yeah. gendered argument and the identity staying away yeah. from what happens when you like representation and intersectionality is not always at the heart of a conversation. Yeah. And what did you think though of like the beach me off, the homoerotic Ken moment? Did you think there would be more of that? Were you surprised at how it manifested? I wasn't surprised because again, I don't think that the movie is about eroticism. Like the movie is not about sexual desire. It is about kind of the signs, the representations that we use to stand in for gender, right? And so like 
there's a great moment when she when when she encounters like the um the male construction workers who say all of these sexual things to her and she's like i sense that there's a double entendre here right so she's like aware she she's capable of irony and she's aware of what's going on she's not completely naive to the world but she is sort of naive to desire because she's not literally embodied like in the way that we are in the real world quote unquote so i think that scene is particularly funny right because it's a group of people who don't know what sex and desire is, who are speaking using the signs of masculinity. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture? In the spring, I had on doctors Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions. And how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens, and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about the college classroom than to actually understand what is literary theory? That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower on broadviewpress.com. You get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview, 
And now back to the ivory tower boiler room. Beach, right? Like beach and to be beached off is to have a competition about ownership of this space that is supposed to be male dominated. So they're using that language, which is all just the representational signs in that world of what masculinity is. One, it's limited, right? It's a border zone. It's like literally a border zone. The beach is like the border between the ocean, which is not accessible to men, right? He runs at it and gets bounced off. Right. And also the, the word off becomes about competitiveness. Like we're going to beach each other off. And I think like it's hilarious for the audience precisely because it doesn't land as erotic for the people who are engaged in it, even though it so obviously is. Like well, and yeah. the Barbie doll, we have to remember, does not have specified genitalia. Exactly. Like the Ken does not have a penis. Like yes. they're, again, I think, they're being very intentional at yeah. using the doll, like you said, as a representation yes. of what would it be like from this body of a doll, yes. their perspective and their yeah. view. So, and can, but can I say, I want to go back a little bit because I want to say something about the exclusionary nature of the utopia, right? Like, mm -hmm. so on the one hand, part of what I love about the movie, and I want to say something also about liberal feminism in the process of, of, of saying that. First of all, the movie acknowledges that like all of us at some level are liberal feminists who are progressive. It is so easy for us to dismiss liberal feminism as a kind of flat-footed form of feminism that is only interested in kind of parity with men, with institutional reform. And I'm very critical of that critique because all of us believe that. Like all of us who are progressive fundamentally believe that women should be paid as much as anybody else right, that people should have equal access to institutional resources. And so for us to poo-poo liberal feminist ideas is kind of absurd because to claim, for instance, that people should get equal pay is a radical revolutionary concept. And to simply call that like liberal pandering, whatever, is ridiculous. So number one, I love that the movie acknowledges like at some level, all of us who believe in gendered equality and gender and freedom from the constraints of gender for everyone uh, of any gender, right? That we're all liberal feminists at some level. It's just like we do it in different ways. So there's number one. Number two, the film sidesteps completely the traditional liberal feminist critique, or, or I should say, sorry, the radical feminist critique of Barbie which says it it set, it's, uh, projects impossible beauty standards. It makes girls feel terrible about themselves. It's a representation of whiteness. The movie says, actually, the real problem with Barbie is not that she represents one ideal, because look, she's about multiplicity. She, there's an endless series of versions of her. Like she's not about one identity, she's about a million. Like that's why she has no end. So the movie begins with like, actually the genius of Barbie is that she is all about the multiplication of possibilities. Everyone of every body, of every kind of skin color, of every you know um, gender and sexual orientation can imagine themselves as her. The movie says the problem is that the utopian fantasy of Barbie land presents a level of freedom for women that is so dissonant with what the real world is like that it can, it seems impossible to achieve, right? What does America Ferreira says? She said like, well, when I couldn't be you, I like imagined, like I imagined you as me, mm. right? I changed you to be more like me. So the big struggle of Barbie land is that it is a separatist utopia. It's saying certain versions of radical feminism can only imagine a better world only for women. And that is a problem because the movie says in the real world, men and women live together and they have to figure out a way to commune across their differences. Is the utopian fantasy useful? Absolutely. Does it have a limit? Yes. So you see all those exclusions like weird Barbie, the, the so-called gay Barbies, partly because it's a movie that is really, I mean, because Barbie world is really just about women. like generally speaking, like traditional women, not one stereotypical woman, but lots of different kinds of stereotypical women. 
And so I think the movie then says, we what we actually need to be doing is contending with the relationships between men and women. Like that's something we have to deal with. And that is goes against a major orthodoxy of contemporary popular feminism, right? which continues to imagine that men and women are in a perpetual war, like mm. into infinity over sexual politics. And the movie says like, um, we might actually have to resolve some of these issues if we're gonna move forward together. Well, I can only imagine the 1960s and 70s feminists reaction to a movie like this. Like I try to imagine how would, um, you know, Betty Friedan have responded. Oh, or fascinating. Or like, um, is it Shulamith Firestone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, or those who were really involved with the sex wars, yeah. um, like that we're now here in our 2023 perspective. What I find fascinating, Ramsey, is how many from different political affiliations gravitated towards Barbie. Like there are friends of mine who are more conservative, who actually really loved the movie. Yeah. Or those who are libertarian, those who consider themselves Democrat or progressive. Yeah. Like it does seem this movie you had, of course, like that right wing, like a certain strain, which was very stereotypical of no them sense. saying. Because what? you and I have talked, we make the, the, yeah. the conservative critique of the movie makes no sense. Cause you and I have talked about this before more informally, which is that the movie is extremely male affirmative. Mm -hmm. The movie simultaneously admits that a certain version of a, uh, especially American white masculinity, I would say, even though the Kens are racially diverse, they're all inhabiting a certain version of American masculinity. Like Ken, the main Ken, Ryan Gosling, is basically an incel, right? Like, mm. like that's basically like, he. his whole thing is he's like, my whole world is wrapped up in getting attention from this woman who doesn't want to fuck me. And like, that's amazing that the movie is bold enough to say a certain version of American masculinity is really deeply immature. Like it's deeply, deeply self-absorbed. It's about the it's about the codependent need for women's approval. But then the movie says, but we're gonna have to contend with that immaturity. Like whether you like it or not, men have feelings. Well, right? and and they have pain. That was something yes, that absolutely. that's what I'm actually very annoyed with in even academic feminism is like, especially with male sexual assault survivors, I feel that the Me Too movement did a bad, horrible job. I'm just going to be well, frank. Yeah, but I also, think, uh, I think yeah. they ignored the men who came forward. Like, there were male models who came forward, and it totally. was just not the focus. Because when men come forward, they're seen as, well, you could have stopped that. You're taking, yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you could have stopped it because yeah. of your masculinity. Yeah. Um. You know, again, I would say there are so many strains of the Me Too movement. And I think we're still kind of in a, I don't even know, processing um, yeah. survivors accounts and the Amber Heard trial and Johnny Depp, I think really threw a lot of gasoline on the fire that- um, Well, to my mind, know, that trial, right, right, it represented and what people would never really talk about directly is the ways in which men and women in this society, heterosexual men and women are obsessed with each other. And because they are obsessed with each other, they hate each other. That's something that this movie really brilliantly addresses. That's why people are so, so two reasons why people across the political spectrum are obsessed with Barbie. One, like movies, like brilliant movies like Thelma and Louise, my favorite movie of all time, which I read about in my work, right? It takes no ideological hard lines. Mm -hmm. The movie is not saying there's one kind of feminism that's good, one kind of feminism that's bad. It's saying we should draw on many feminist ideas. Separatism has some good ideas. Sometimes it's really powerful for women to just be together, right? And to just figure out themselves with each other and be woman identified. But then it says, sometimes men and women need to commune and figure out what they're gonna do. Sometimes people need to commune across generations. The movie is about mother and daughter too, right? It's also about Ruth, the creator of um, Barbie, who's older, talking to the ever youthful Barbie that she created. So like the movie, imagines that what it doesn't say there's one ideological or political position we should take. It says we should look at the playing field with an open heart and an open mind and make decisions about how we want to collectively live based on like what would allow us all to flourish. So it doesn't end like the ending. There's this great moment where the Mattel 
CEO is like, let's bring Barbie land exactly to what it was. And the president is like, I think we actually have to change, right? So there's number one. Um, I think that that's part of what compels people about the movie. But now I lost my train of thought on the second thing. Remind me with the last thing that you said. Well, no, well, I was going to also just bring up, I think there's something happening with masculinity studies in the movie with especially Ryan Gosling's character yeah. that, um, you know, the number one group who are actually depressed in America oh, are men, men. And they tend to be white men. And totally. I mean, who are the number one, like, sorry to bring, you know, the mood down, but who is the number one group committing, committing suicide? suicide? It's men. Okay, and I would say, absolutely. like, has academic feminism addressed that? That's my, oh, it's and funny that's what that you, you get. Say this. And that's what the, and I think that's where the right wing will take that. And then they will put down feminism because like they're saying, they frame it though, as men are being attacked or, you know, men are being um, oppressed by the movie, which I don't believe at all. Like Not that at to all. me. It's actually it's just, about, yeah, the wish yeah. for men to be free from their own bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. that's really what she's giving him permission to do at the end. She's like, what if you had a self-definition that was not about your desire for me? Hi, everyone. This is Andrew, and I am interrupting what I know is such an exciting Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and it's hosted by Christian Garcia. Christian is joined with guest co-hosts to talk about classic cinema films that we know and love, and he analyzes them through a queer lens. So he's talked about The Sound of Music, Alfred Hitchcock, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, and recently, Hello, Dolly. I actually was on his first ever episode to talk about my love of The Sound of Music and playing Captain Von Trapp in my high school musical. Then I was joined with Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, and our friend Travis Roundtree to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mary just had Christian on True Crime and Academia to talk about female poisoners, including the evil queen from Snow White and actual real life female poisoners. So Christian's podcast is the best. You must add it to your listen list. After you listen to this episode, make sure you head over to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he's also on TikTok. Don't forget TikTok. Okay. I can't wait for you all to listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And now back to the ivory tower boiler room. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Right. Mm. I mean, so actually now I remember now that you mentioned that. Right. So the first reason I mentioned why I think people love Barbie is because it doesn't take an ideological hard line. It's open minded about what feminist politics could look like. Um, I think the second. Is that it really does drill down, as you were saying, uh, into the feelings of men as legitimate 
problematic. It doesn't say that they're all great, right? If there's a certain kind of immaturity about maleness, but it doesn't mean that it's illegitimate. It's something that needs to be like addressed. And then it says like what we really need to contend with is the codependent relationship that men and women have to women, right? There's a great moment when Gloria's daughter says, oh, let's get real. Men hate women and women hate women, right? And what the movie is referencing there without ever saying it is the classic argument by the feminist psychoanalytic theorist, Dorothy Dinnerstein in her book, The Mermaid and the Minotaur, this revolutionary book from the seventies that nobody reads now, but is so brilliant. She basically is like, look, the feminist movement is so important to American politics. It's necessary, but it has missed a major thing about what it means to be human. It's so committed to critiquing patriarchy as a structural logic. It has never really addressed where the hatred of women comes from before the institution of patriarchy. Like it assumes that patriarchy is the source of that hatred. And she's like, but what nobody wants to acknowledge is that human beings by virtue of the way they're like, their mammalian biology works are all born out of a woman's body, right? And we can critique the idea of like essential woman, whatever, but we're gonna like for now, right? Like they they come out of a woman's body and they are attached to that body for over 18 years. You need that body for sustenance, for emotional care, to not die. And she basically says what happens to humans is we develop an extraordinarily obsessive attachment to this object who we then come to realize is not us. Mm. So no wonder we hate the people, the, this human being that raised us. We never consented to come into the world. She brought us into the world and then we were forced to be dependent on her. And she says what human beings struggle with across genders is that we so desperately want independence but we are also desperately attached to the thing that we were dependent to, the usually, not always, the body of a woman. And so she says, no wonder we feel this obsession and repulsion towards mothers and towards women because we needed it, that, that um, all of the care and the attention, and then we also resent it. If you watch this movie carefully, that's literally what all Barbie is about. He is obsessed with Barbie, but he resents his obsession with her. And he's like, why don't you reciprocate? Because I feel so much for you. And part of what dinner scene says is she's like, if all human beings, regardless of gender, took care of children, children would not be able to place women as the scapegoat for the human fucking condition. And that is what's amazing at the end of the movie, that if it begins with a rejection of reproduction, the girls give up these dolls that are all about having babies at the end, Barbie imagines what it becomes to be, what it means to become real through a series of images about daughters with their mothers and then daughters growing up and leaving their mothers. Like the movie is about growing up. It's saying like, grow the fuck up and stop demanding of anyone, men and women, that women solve your internal existential crisis, which is why she looks at Ken and she's like, girl, like, do you? Like, I think you need to figure out who you are and I'm gonna figure out who I am. And communion can happen after a certain degree of that maturing. Yeah, so do you feel that this movie helps move the needle, Ramsey, of understanding that like traditional feminist idea about women not, women having to choose a pathway, like, thinking that they can have it all, but that's literally impossible. Like I'm even thinking now of Andrea Dworkin, yeah. who had been accused so much of male bashing, which again, I don't think is something she says. It's uh, a boogeyman argument that's used. Yeah, sure. But, also, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was like, also, how can you not feel rage at men? Right? I mean, I recently wrote an article about everything you're talking about. I wrote an article in South Atlantic Quarterly called Feminism is for beginners, learning from straight men doing queer feminism. And that essay is really all about the, the fundamental struggle that many of us have as feminists, that many of us cannot stand men, and yet we're erotically attached to them and we want to be intimate with them, right? Like I wanna fuck men and I wanna date them and yet they also infuriate me. How can you not legitimately feel fury at the object that has made you feel less than, especially when you desire it? 
And yet desiring it is deep and 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 not and and hating it also at the same time is deeply painful. You know, that's a deep contradiction. What does Barbie say about being a human? It's messy, right? Like the movie is always saying like, oh yeah, we often feel deeply ambivalent about the objects of our desire. So like both things are true. One can feel deep rage at men and also desire men and also not want to feel rageful at men, you know, and have these beautiful moments when actually you encounter men who are loving and kind and present. And then you're like, oh, okay. There are also moments when you realize you're annoying, right? And you're awful to be around. Like all of it is true. Like we can live in a world where we can hold all of these truths at the same time. Um, and so I think like, that's so interesting that you're accused of male bashing, right? Because like, of course we're gonna feel as, as people who desire men but are critical of toxic forms of masculinity that we're at odds with this object. And that's what Andrea Dworkin was, right? Like Dworkin was somebody who was deeply conflicted about what maleness meant and what erotic desire for maleness meant for women who are so under the boot heel of patriarchy. Yeah, well, and something that um, I think I've always had tension with is feminist scholarship that always puts pornography down. Like I don't sure. attach, because I think pornography is actually pretty empowering, especially yeah. from a queer context. Yeah. Again, the whole straight, form of porn, you know, look to Linda Williams and others. Sure. But I think though, something that this movie though does show us, I believe is the power of your, again, we said that embodiment is messy here, but it does show you, you could have a stereotypical blonde, blue eyed woman like Margot Robbie, yeah. but she also has these immense philosophical moments that totally. a woman who owns her sexiness can be intellectual. And I do think for the longest yeah. time, feminism had a hard time articulating. I mean, Naomi Wolf had the beauty myth, which I think really sure. brought in, you can be, you don't have to wear pantsuits to be yeah. taken seriously, Yeah, you know? And again, like if a woman wants to wear, I'm not saying how you should wear clothing, but I do think we do still in the professional setting, do you see, do you think women still feel they can wear whatever they want and they're not going to be objectified in the workplace? Well, number one, I would never claim to know what women are thinking yeah. collectively. But number two, I mean, everybody that I work with, we my colleagues and I are very, very close across gender, race, everything. I we have an amazingly diverse department. We talk all the time about how we appear in front of young people. And mm -hmm. I know for a fact from like the things um, women have told me who are my colleagues, they are always thinking about what they're wearing. They certainly feel, I mean, the people that I work with dress beautifully. I mean, the women that I work with have amazing fashion sense and they go into the classroom looking the way they wanna look, but they are very conscious about how they present. That's that's absolutely like still on their mind because we all know that like young people, regardless of how progressive they are, hold deep bias against people, like if you're gay, if you're a person of color, if you're all of these things, like there, there are so many perceptions that students project on you and you think very critically about how you present. So that's certainly true. But you know, to go back to your question, has this moved the needle? I don't think a movie can move the needle. I think it's the conversations that happen as a result of the movie or the literary text or the video game or whatever that moves the needle. We all need to be having, like, instead of people having these hot takes, like the conservative right saying, you know, this movie is anti-male or even people who are progressive saying it's just liberal pandering feminism. We need to actually have these kinds of conversations where we draw out the like the real rich complexity of these texts. Because again, I've said this a few times throughout this conversation. For me, I left that movie really thinking, wow, the film is demanding that men and women deal with the negative energy between them. Like, right? Like when we see Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, that should disturb us so deeply. We should not be on one side or the other unequivocally. We should be sitting there being like, why is it that in the realm of intimate companionship, men and women are so at odds? Like in a realm that is supposed to be about intimacy and connection and building a life together, why are men and women intent on obliterating one another? Men have more of the power and resources 
to obliterate women in a way that is completely unequal. But that violence is happening on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Like women also abuse men. There's a huge amount of emotional abuse that happens of men from women. Like I talk to my friends who are therapists and I hear about it all the time. Like the fact that we are all basically little babies, desperate to be loved, deeply insecure, and we're basically seeking out in each other like validation, love, commitment. And when we don't get it, we want to destroy people. Like it does not benefit the society for men and women to constantly be obsessed with each other and wanting to destroy each other at the same time. Hi, did I mention that it's spooky season? This is Dr. Andrew Rimby and guess what? I have so many Halloween and fall designs and crafts in my apartment. And guess what? There is a person who's made me so many Halloween horror fall themed items. And her name is Mandy Bengal. She owns Mandy Made It, a craft crochet company. So Mandy talked to me and said, Andrew, I want everyone out there to know that if they mention ITBR and that they heard my ad, that I will give them a free ITBR t-shirt. So make sure you mention ITBR. An order from Mandy, crocheted pumpkins, that she actually is using cinnamon sticks as the stem, which is a brilliant idea. How cozy. And also filling the pumpkins with potpourri. I already want to wrap myself in a blanket. She has Halloween keychains, other Halloween crochet designs. So how can you reach out to her? Go to her Facebook or Instagram, at Mandy made it reach out to her. She will ship items out to you. If you live in the South New Jersey, Philly area, she'll arrange to have you either pick it up or deliver it to you. So Mandy just makes such beautiful crocheted items. And I'm so happy that she supports the podcast. I've known Mandy since I was a child. We were in theater camp together. That's how I met Mary. So the three of us have known each other a long time. Okay, head over to Mandy Made It for your handmade crocheted items for this Halloween and fall. That radiates a... Think about how much the Depp heard publicity machine radiated so much emotional violence in this society. The fact that people were like, she should be killed. The fact that, right, like, there's just, this is untenable, right? And I love that the movie opens up the conversation of, like, what is required for men and women to live in greater harmony with one another when they pursue relating, like, that should matter to us. That matters to so many things. Think about the abortion debate. Nobody publicly talks about the fact that men would benefit massively from the access to abortion. Do you, like what the amount of tension that is added to men and women fucking when they have to worry about not being able to access abortion, when they have to worry about child, um, what is it called? like alimony, blah, 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 blah. Men and women would relate better and easier and have a better sex life if abortion was available. You know, these basic, ordinary, everyday interpersonal realities about how we can live less depressively, less suicidally, less, you know, mutual annihilation. The movie is about that. That's what I love. Like, that's what the movie is about. Yeah, well, and I think we have to like nearing the end of this conversation, I'm just now thinking of how obsessed I am with the girls next door podcast with Holly and Bridget. Uh -huh. And like they had been, I feel, um, there was a time where I just remember Paris Hilton, like those who said they were feminists would really ridicule these women. I mean, yeah. like they, they weren't seen totally. as intellectually complex. Yeah. So I think it is interesting. We're now at a moment where these women are actually taking their voice back and saying, yeah. hey, you thought you knew me. I actually fooled you with my marketing machine. And yeah. that moment with Ken, even when he like thinks patriarchy is being a cowboy and wearing Rocky yeah, yeah, Balboa's yeah, yeah. jacket, that the women then are dressed like Playboy bunnies in a way. Yes. with like the maid outfits. But it's this very, yeah. you know, um, yeah. just 
stereotypical level of what a patriarchy looks like. And it's almost as if Ken is now Hugh Hefner. And yes, I think like totally. we're getting this Playboy Mansion imagery. But I yes. think the movie, like you're saying, Ramsey, we're now at a moment where we can take a pause and like actually listen to the women's stories, like listen yeah. to their agency. And, you know, I mean, something that I wanted to ask you about is the court of public opinion seems to be really in focus right now. Even yeah. like us seeing what's happening with Britney Spears, which is very yeah. sad. Like yeah. it's very tragic what's totally going on. And, you know, so many were screaming free Britney. And I think that was a beautiful moment, but also is this now saying, wait, take a breath and like assess the situation before we all start to demand exactly. something that might be harmful. judge anything yeah. without proper information, right? Yeah. How can we make a final judgment or how, why are we not open to changing our mind? Right? Like part of what Barbie does is it's all about the ability to change your mind. There's that great moment when Barbie is like, but I don't want anything to change. And Gloria's like, life is change. Everything is change. The willingness to change, like there's that great moment where like, of course we want to hate all the Kens for turning on Barbie land. But there's that moment where she's like, well, I can understand how like maybe it didn't need to always be girls night, right? Like the movie really simplifies complex ideas in order to give us a sense of like, oh, you can actually, the complexity of the world is not that hard to grasp, actually. Like, you can open your mind out to it. And I do think, yeah, like, the idea that, like, there's a very, very quick slide from the court of public opinion into, like, mob rule. Mm -hmm. You know? And we need to realize that, that, like, we can be very taken quickly, psychologically, by a mass collective that is not thinking critically and that is not in disagreement. If you are part of any collective that is trying to create, like collectively voice some thought and there is no debate among you about the message, then something is wrong, right? Like something is wrong. When I watch the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing, it is amazing to me how the supporters of Johnny Depp speak with a single voice about their obsession with him. I don't even get it. I mean, I think he looks like scary to me at this point. I'm like, what is so appealing about him? I used to love him when I was younger, like as an actor. I, but but there's no internal debate. None of them are like, maybe she has a point, right? Like if you are speaking in a singular mass, you're fucked. Like you, something has to be rethought. And this is where movies like Barbie, like Thelma and Louise are so necessary because the point is not whether they're feminist or not. They're not not because they fail to live up to the politics of feminism, but because they don't hold to a single ideological message. They are partly feminist and partly something else. The brilliance of them is they speak back to feminist politics and say, hey, you got some things right, but some things you might be fucking up, right? And, um, yeah, and a movie like this, I think then gives us a new lens, an angle. Like even if you're watching The Godfather thinking, wait, what is going on with patriarchal relations yeah, here? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe they're fantasizing about how they're living their mafioso life. Like, exactly. why are men connecting to this? Like, it is, again, I think so many times when it's a film that's focused on a group of women, the question becomes, is it feminist enough? Well, why aren't we asking that about male exclusive movies? Absolutely. I mean, is it patriarchal enough? I mean, I don't know. It is. It's also like feminist by what standard, right? There's a mm -hmm. thousand different kinds of feminism. Like there's, it's feminism is such a multifarious, complex, multidimensional project. It is not only about the critique of beauty standards. It's not only about women, right? Like it's not only anything. It is at the end of the day, a world making project to radically transform our collective relationship to the categories of to the category of gender. It is about freedom from those categories and their limits. That is an unbelievably expansive project that can look like a million different things. Part of what makes Barbie so successful is that it's always positing certain kinds of simplistic representations of gender that are always somewhat wrong and somewhat right. 
stereotypical Barbie is beautiful by certain beauty standards. She is blonde. She is whatever. She also thinks about death. Yes. She also she's, has she's also a Nietzsche philosopher. Exactly. She's also brilliant. You know, like like the 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 superficial, not superficial, the the cliche representation of patriarchy and masculinity, horses and you know, and like the, the whatever, the the mini fridge Boxing. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All of that at sub level, it's a stereotype, right? Tons of men don't fit that. Alan doesn't fit that. That's why he's in the movie. And yet enough people do that we recognize it. We're like, oh, I know what that is. The dissonance between the stereotype and real life is the space for critique. The movie is saying nobody is ever one thing. Even Ken fucking hates the mini fridge, right? Like even Ken, so I think part of the, the movie is addressing a deeply complicated reality, which is that none of us are actually a one-to-one -one reflection of the categories of gender that exist and circulate. Um, but also those stereotypes sometimes have their meaning. Like and this movie really, I think what we've demonstrated right now, just like this two-part series is, it opens up so many critiques and debates of not one idea is going to hold strong. Like not one strain of thought is going to you know, Feminism, overtake the exactly. other. Feminism needs a million different versions, just like there's a million different versions of Barbie. I mean, I think that's the reality, right? Feminism cannot be about representation only. It has to be multiplicious politically in its imagination. It has to be many different projects all at once. And one movie ain't gonna cut it. The, and the movie is, knows that about itself. And I think that's a good place yeah. to end, Ramsey. This Beautiful. is wonderful. And how can everyone follow you out there on okay, social media? People can. Um, I'm a nerd from the future on Instagram. My website is RamseyFawaz.com. I have all of my published work up there, except for my books, which people can get on Amazon. Or actually, I, I much more recommend like independent booksellers like Bookshot.org and Skylight Books. Um, and my Twitter handle is New Mutant Rams. Uh, that's the last part of it is R A M Z. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, Ramsey, as always, I love our conversations. Me too. Yeah. Can't wait to have you back. I think I'll have you on when I do one of my queerest folk recaps. I love that. So that I sounds awesome. See, this was so see what great. you think of all of that from the early 2000s yeah, and totally. what happens when we look at it now with our eyes. I can't so wait. Yeah. Thanks, Ramsey. And bye. Have a to beautiful day. We'll there. talk soon. Thank Bye. you. Okay. Bye, Ramsey. <laughs>Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to rewatch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software, 
Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now I'm offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month. Patreon.com backslash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thanks to the team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor. And thank you to our two new interns from Stony Brook University, Jonathan and Sarah. Bye, everyone. Until next time.